Let me mention something very quickly. Uh, we have a group with us this morning set up with some information in the foyer, and they'll be back again next week. It's called The Call, uh, Children of Arkansas Love for a Lifetime. And what they do is they assist people who are interested in being foster parents or uh, adopting. And since I know that a lot of you here have an interest in that, and, and many of you have done that, you may want to um, meet Jimmy Ann, who will be out there in the foyer and talk to her. We'll have more to say about that next week as well. And Brad... Thank you for the perfect setup for this sermon. I, I, I got to confess to you, working with Brad this week, uh, you know, we just talked about him leading these prayers, and we didn't really go into a lot of detail. Right there at the last second, he said, this is the easiest time to do the, the offering prayer. I said, why? He says, tax season. I said, wait, you're not going to use that render to Caesar verse. And he says, yeah. I said, you know, I've got like a, a, you know, all the interpretations, the traditional interpretations. In my mind, I've got like this wily e. Coyote dynamite surrounding it with one of those plungers. And I'm about to, I'm about to strike the box and, and watch it all go up. So, you know, but I, I didn't want to put Brad in that. I figured you needed to know what you were going into, right? And you handled it very, very well. Uh, great job. Now, Brad did, did very well on that. And by the way, thank you. I prefer the title fearless leader over pastor any day. That is good, okay? So don't worry about pastor. I don't know what that's all about. Fearless leader will work. Okay. So let's read this, uh, this, this most conscious. See, now the, now the reading is controversial. Ooh. Okay, so let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 15. And uh, let's find out what all the controversy is about. By the way, this, this same account, you'll find it in Mark 12, and you'll find it in Luke 20. And when you have those three Gospels remembering something and remembering it you know, very closely, then you know that this had to be a significant moment. And this is the third in an examination, uh, as, as, uh, as Logan was pointing out, of what it means to declare that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he rules in this world in a very real way. So, as we noted in the last two weeks, taking out all of that stuff before the cross, Jesus is not just not just a moral teacher. He's not just a sacrifice to appease God's wrath. Although there, you know, there's some truth to that, there's much more. And that material that happens before the cross is not just stuff to teach a good lesson. It's not just material to fill the gap until the really important stuff happens. It matters as well. And this little incident about paying a temple tax, you would think, isn't this just a trivial matter? Well, it's not very trivial if all three of these gospel writers point this out. Verse 15 of Matthew 22, the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. Don't you hear that again? The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his own words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. We know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men who pay no at- and you paid no attention to who they are. So tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Something powerful has just happened there, whether we recognize it at first or not. And as I said, sometimes we regard this as additional material, extra stuff. We wouldn't dare to call it trivial, but sometimes we treat it trivial as if it's trivial because we have rather mundane responses or understandings of what's going on here. Here are some of the classic interpretations of what's going on here. Oh, paying taxes, paying your tithes. Jesus has said, it's okay, you've got to pay both. You've got to pay your, your money to Caesar, the government, the U.S. government, the IRS, whoever that is, but don't forget your 10%. And often this verse has been used for that reason. Now, understand, if, if Jesus is saying that, for, don't, don't overlook the context here. The context is, and I read it twice, they were trying to trap him in his own words. There's not a good answer here. Not, not the way they've designed the trap. There's no exit. There's no way out. And to just say that Jesus is somehow you know, setting up different methods of payment, that's to miss the evil of the trap. One of the things, and I, by the way, I'll just say this, I have preached all three of these, okay? So I'm not, on, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm not standing up here in judgment of anything. I've done all this. I have to keep reading and reading and reading, and, you know, there's some elements of truth to these, but when we understand what Jesus is really saying, I will tell you this right now, there's much more going on here than just taxes and there's much more going on here than just tithes. There's a lot going on here. One is, is to say that Jesus is teaching us a little moral lesson. That he's saying you ought to be a good Christian, you ought to be a good citizen. Probably has some application in that direction. However, those who have set Jesus up for a trap, they are not interested in Jesus taking a middle position. And I don't think Jesus is interested in that as well. This is not the one, remember, they are... They have evil intent. Jesus can see it. If he gets away with this and just says, well, you know what? I think we all ought to get along. Uh, I I think everybody can be happy. Let's just be good Christians, good citizens too, and everything will just be fine. And they would all say, that's a wonderful answer, Jesus. We love the way you answered that. Nobody can be angry or upset with an answer like that. So yes, we're going to give that one to you. That's not their trap. That's not how it works. The trap is actually designed to turn everyone against Jesus. So in the third interpretation, and, and this, this one gets it's very popular. It's been very popular over the last 300 years. Here is the moment where Jesus takes you know, church and state and he unhitches them. He separates them. He, he pulls them apart. This is where you have the separation of church and state. There it is right there that day. And actually, this, this uh, interpretation has become quite popular with people who may not even be Christians. With people who are against uh, Christians, who are against people with faith, 
having anything to do with politics. They'll often point to Jesus and they'll say, look, your own leader, your own Messiah tells you that you should not have anything to do with politics and with the state, that you need to stay out of it. So you keep your Christian faith out of the halls of government. You keep your Christian faith out of the ways of, uh, of politics. So they'll point to this and say that that's where Jesus is separating church and state. There is a counter to that, which is very interesting. Some will counter that and they'll say, wait a second, the concept of the separation of church and state, especially if you read through the founding fathers, they were not concerned about religion interfering with the state. They were concerned about the state interfering with religion. That that's what they're most concerned about. And you know what? I think that's a fair point. Once again, that misses the entire point of what Jesus was up against when they were seeking to trap him in his own words. We begin to understand how their trap works. And when you understand how their trap works, you see how devilish it is. When you have some sense of what the coin is all about. Now, their question is, Jesus, you tell us, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The way that's designed, the way it works is like this. Jesus is left with a yes or no answer. Yes, pay taxes to Caesar. No, do not pay taxes to Caesar. And there were groups that were concerned with both of those responses. If Jesus says, yes, you need to pay taxes to Caesar, then the people who believe that Caesar has, has corrupted the temple and that he has, um, he has set himself up as a false god, they are going to be greatly offended and they're going to turn against Jesus as, as a teacher sent from God. Likewise, if he says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then you're going to have some who are radicals, who are against Caesar ruling the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People like Simon the Zealot, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who before Jesus called him, he could have slit the throat of any of these Roman invaders or any of the people that colluded with them. So if Jesus says yes... He turns that group against him. But if Jesus says, no, do not pay taxes to Caesar, then they get to label him as nothing more than a radical, another rebel rouser, another anti-Rome leader who is setting up a rebellion, and they can even find those Jews who might be favorable with the Roman government and accuse Jesus of treason, which they'll do to some extent anyway. But Jesus turns the entire question upside down. If anybody blows up the question here, it's not me, it's Jesus Christ. He takes the coin and he says, whose image is on the coin, whose inscription is on the coin. Michael Cole has brought some coins with him today, one that looks very similar to this, that would have been the tribute penny, the denarius that comes from that time. What you've got here in this, um, this reproduction up here is you have this uh, inscription Okay, And it says, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of, this word's important, the divine Augustus. That, that doesn't mean that Augustus is a really swell guy, okay? That doesn't mean that Augustus is a good old boy, okay? Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that he's just all right. 
That means that he's claiming to be God. Over here on the other side, uh, you have this figure. It's probably a representation of uh, peace or some goddess. But it's these words right here. This says, Maxim Pontiff, High Priest. In the ancient world, coins were the perfect form of propaganda. You would imprint on the coin what you wanted the people of the conquered land to believe and to accept. And you know what? Everyone uses money. So you put that on there. And different coins were minted for different reasons. It made you literally buy in to the beliefs of those people. So if you had to pay a tax to get into the temple, and you had to do it with a coin that said Caesar is God and Caesar is high priest. Jesus is asking his opponents to say, you tell me, what do you have in your pocket? You know, it's kind of like the credit card commercial, what's in your wallet, okay? And what they take out of their wallet is a blasphemous, idolatrous token. Jesus recognizes their trap and says, let's talk about what you are bringing to the temple. And again, for us, we might say, well, it's just money. It's just got stuff written on it. But it has stuff that in the precinct of the temple, that anywhere, but especially in the precinct of the temple, in the, in the area of the temple, it would be the height of hypocrisy. And notice, what does Jesus call them in this text? You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Why are they hypocrites? I mean, it would have been appropriate for him to say, you, know, you devilish scoundrels, you know, you, 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 you tricky people, you know, you liars, you people with evil intent. He's called them things like that on other occasions, but he says hypocrite, which a hypocrite is someone who assumes to judge others, but is doing the same thing. It's because they're posing the question to him, who is the highest authority? Is it Caesar? Do you pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, all the while, guess what you've got in your coin purse? You have got a graven image. They're breaking commandments. You've got a graven image. You have something that says right there in your hand that there is another God besides the I am. You're the hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? He says, you give that which has Caesar's image on it, you give that back to Caesar." He's really saying, get rid of it. He says, but what belongs to God? Now, think, what has God's image on it? What has God's inscription on it? Genesis, we are created in the image of God. Just as the image of Caesar is stamped on that coin, God's image is stamped on us. Now, I've already told you, there's a lot going on here, and I hope you're starting to see it. There's a lot going on here because this is what you've just witnessed in this event. And I think it's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke think that it's worth remembering. Why it's worth us reading, each of them. Because they're saying that was the moment when you saw the head-to-head confrontation between the kingdom of Caesar and the kingdom of heaven. That was where, if there was any line drawn in the sand, it was not the separation of church and state. Rather, it was Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is the highest authority. And the kingdom of Caesar 
That's Caesar's business, but he's going to have to answer to the kingdom of heaven. That's what you saw in this event. But let's go a step further. Let's look at something else. By the way, Jesus is also doing something that he will do again. He is exposing their lies, their hypocrisy, their, their, even their blasphemy. He's exposing it, not with force, but with truth. He's bringing forth the truth. He's, he's showing them with the coins, with his words, that they, although they claim to be servants of the kingdom of heaven, they have actually bowed down to the kingdom of Caesar. They've made their peace with the kingdom of Caesar. You see this again, and we'll move over to John 18 and just read part of that. In John 18, we've moved further into the events of the gospel, the events of the life of Jesus. And in John 18, there's another confrontation between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Caesar. This time, the kingdom of Caesar is represented by one of its official representatives, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. And Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is being held by Pontius Pilate. He's been accused of treason. They have demanded that he be crucified. And so Pilate and Jesus meet in this encounter. In in chapter 18 of John's Gospel, Starting in verse 33, Pilate goes back inside the palace. He summons Jesus and he asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, Am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, pay attention to these words now. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate asked, what is truth? And with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Here we see the difference between the kingdom of Caesar and the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Caesar, any worldly kingdom, any earthly kingdom, rules by fighting. Jesus said, if my kingdom was like Caesar's kingdom, If my kingdom was just another competitor with Caesar's kingdom for rule and power on this earth, then my followers would fight. We would use force. The rule is might makes right. What Jesus says here is true. And if you stop and think about it, every kingdom that's ever been, even the kingdoms that we may like, even the kingdoms that we may find favorable, even the governments that we may find favorable. Ultimately, every kingdom has one, one power that it can wield with authority, and that's the power to deal out punishment and death. 
Kingdoms and governments in this world can have all sorts of ideologies. They can have all sorts of philosophies, different principles that rule them. They can be good principles. They can be bad principles. They can, they can be everything in between. But the final authority that a government in this world can exercise is the power of might. The strong survive. No matter how good they are. And you can have an exceptionally good and righteous government on earth. And yet they may not survive against a stronger power. Caesar's kingdom rules by force. Might makes right. And in Caesar's kingdom, what you had at the time of Jesus was a kingdom that was a superpower in this world. A, a kingdom that, that had expanded into more territory than, than most kingdoms before it. But again, it was their might. It was their power that enabled them to do that. Jesus says that his kingdom does not rule in that way. Now, that doesn't mean that his kingdom does not have might. When Jesus' followers do think that they can wield that same power, and you'll remember Peter finds some swords, they're probably some rusty knives, cuts off the ear of a Roman soldier. He says, we can do this. We can fight. God is on our side. Jesus says, that's not how we're going to do it. And then he corrects him. He says, if force, if force is all we need, Peter, we've got that. Do you not know that I can summon armies of angels and they will fight for us? They will fight for me? Do we ever stop and think just how one-sided that battle would actually have been? Yeah. It's not open for, you know, oh, it's going to be an intense struggle. Oh, we're going to have to all gear up. It would be an unstoppable force. It, it, it would be over before it even began. And Jesus has that power. But that, and if you're like me, you're wondering, why didn't he make that call? Boy, wouldn't that make everything okay today? Why didn't he push that button? Why not? Well, one thing is, is who does that force go against if he summons it? Well, the bad guys, the bad guys who are going to crucify him. Don't we often remember that it's our sins that caused him to be crucified? Are you sure you want him to push that button? Are we really sure? I mean, every kingdom on earth that pretends to be the ultimate authority would be opposed by that force. If God chooses to meet us the same way that the kingdoms of this earth meet one another, we're going to be on the losing side. And we're not even going to have much of a chance to, you know, check our ammo, okay? It's over. So no, God is coming at this a very different way. And force is not the issue. The kingdom of Jesus rules by truth. And I know when, when you know, might, I mean, that settles things, doesn't it? Truth. Truth. We often overlook this, but truth is the more powerful force. Because you can't shoot truth down. You can try to twist it. You can try to warp it. You can try to hide it. Other powers go up against it. Pilate doesn't even understand what truth is. 
At the end of their discourse, Jesus, discourse, you know, their, their repartee, their little conversation with each other, Jesus brings up, brings up truth. Pilate says, what is that exactly? I don't know if he's just being philosophical or if he, he really doesn't understand how this fits. But truth is that which will accomplish more than force. One of the things that goes on in this, in this world with the kingdoms like Caesar's is that it's not just Caesar ruling. On the coin, you had Tiberius Caesar, not Julius Caesar. There were Caesars before him. There were Caesars after him. Some of them became divine. Some of them joked about becoming divine. At the end of the day, what you've got is you've got other things bigger than just those men called Caesars that are in power. You've got pride. You've got nationalism. You've got fear. And those things still rule. They are the powers. And sometimes they are the powers that love to hide in the shadows. Those shadowy powers that control, those forces that control our life. And we have to fight against their rule. They like to hide in the shadows because they're afraid of the truth. And the truth will dispel those shadowy powers. The truth will call them out. When Jesus says, give me a coin and let's talk about whose image is on this. The evil intent hiding in the heart of the Pharisees was exposed by the light of the truth. We're going to talk about paying taxes to Caesar. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about graven images, says Jesus. The truth. And it's exposed. Pilate is helping Jesus find a political solution to his problem. And Jesus says, you have no authority. It's the truth. And Jesus is going to expose it. And Jesus will stay committed to God. And on the cross, the truth will be revealed. One of the citizens of Caesar's kingdom, the Roman centurion, will come full face with Jesus on the cross and say, this man, this man was the Son of God. The truth. The truth then brings about justice. It takes the truth to recognize what's wrong because when we recognize what's wrong, then we begin to see God sorting everything out and making things right. It takes the truth to expose those shadowy powers, those powers that aren't so shadowy that often rule us. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm not going to let fear rule over me anymore? That's a good statement. But you have to have more than just a statement over who's not going to rule over you. You need to replace it with who is going to rule over you. I think it would be great if we made declarations about those things. I'm not going to let my work rule over me anymore. I'm not going to let the economy rule over my life anymore. I'm not going to let my own selfish passions or my own appetites rule over my life anymore. That's good. But who is going to rule? That is the beginning of truth, exposing those powers. I'm saying that Jesus is saying the rightful kingdom that you need to be in is the kingdom where there is that kind of truth. And that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, the way and the rule of God and of our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. When we start recognizing those things that rule over us, We are walking into the light of truth, and it's being exposed. In answer to Pilate's question, the truth, 
The truth is embodied in Jesus Christ who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is found in the kingdom of heaven. Today, as we sing this next song, I, I, I want you to know, some of you have said that you need prayers today for different things. And maybe there's other powers. They may even be in the shadows. Maybe there's other worries or fears or concerns or maybe there's pride. I don't know what it is, but you've probably felt it. Maybe it's even an allegiance that does not deserve your attention. Sometimes we have those. And those powers, they don't like for us to give that up. But anything that has set itself up as a graven image between you and the true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it's a power, it's a blasphemy, it's an idol, and it does not deserve our allegiance because stamped in us is the image of God, which means we need to give to God what belongs to Him. He will write His word in our hearts. Let's give ourselves to Him. You were not made for any other kingdom except the kingdom of Christ. Don't dwell under the rule of those other kingdoms any longer. While we stand and sing this song, some of you have said you need prayers today. There will be elders down here at the front. They're willing to pray with you. Right back here through those doors, you can go to room 100. Just look for them. Ask around. There will be elders there to pray for you. Uh, Some may wish to enter into the kingdom of heaven through that first watery step of baptism. Whatever we need to do to respond to your desire to serve Christ, to step into the truth, won't you respond while we stand and sing this song?